Yeah, it's just a joy to be with you. And I want to do three things this morning. I just give you a kind of a quick overview of of our history with you, really a testimony of your ministry to us, and then get into the Word and James uh, that you see on, in the bulletin, I'm sure, and also talk about practical application of that. Uh, but first, um, you can see a picture of uh, the family and our beloved Mildred, or Gigi, as we affectionately called her as grand, great-grandmother. Uh, just a wonderful saint. In fact, I look at her and I think, I could just go sit down and just say, she's an example of the message today. She's a living sermon of being a doer of the word for I don't know how many years. She was a believer for 70 or something years. Is that right? 70 some years. Just day in and day out doing the word, being, being uh, a faithful servant of God, a servant to us. And so we thank you for your prayers as we experience her loss. As gain for her, she's rejoicing in full joy. So we're envious of her, but we, we miss her greatly. So thank you for your prayers for us and as we go through health challenges. Anyway, that's a picture we took three weeks ago. And she was strong enough to sit there. And for two hours, we were just getting into the Word and worshiping. And she gave us just a wonderful blessing kind of a last uh, tes- testament to a testimony to the Lord's work in her life and then passing the p- baton on to us. So I wanted to s- give you that picture. Uh, and so most of us, almost all of us are here. Uh, one, one, one is missing our oldest son, uh, Justin, but everyone else is here. Um, so we're just glad to be able to be here with you. And like I said, um, I wanted to just uh, take a few minutes just to give a, a quick overview of our our history together, many of you might not even know, uh, this is a recent family picture of all of us, but going back in time, about 21 years ago, we first came to Cornerstone, that's what we looked like with Justin, our oldest, uh, in 1997, we got to spend a year here, and it was such a formative time, even though it was a short time, uh, your impact on us, before we went to the field, we were really inexperienced, um, just going out, not knowing what we were getting ourselves into, and we, we were enriched so much by you. We want you to know that. I mean, some of you are new, but just as a collective body. And this was back at the Linden um, uh, location. And I remember, just to give you an example, uh, both from the church but also from the pastoral staff, uh, Pastor Milton one day came up to me and said, and not knowing me that well, I, we'd only had a few months of being at Cornerstone, and he said, would you like to preach? And he hadn't heard me speak. It was a big... A big step for him, really, taking a chance on me. And I said yes, and then he did a second thing, which was a few weeks later. So I had a number of I had a t- a number of weeks to prepare. And he got together with me and said, so tell me about your message. And, you know, and I was pretty green, not knowing what I was doing. And I was, I said, I'm, you know, I was over, all over the map. And he helped me kind of refine and hone in on the main point and I don't even remember what I spoke on, but I remember after I spoke in the m- middle aisle with a number of people around, uh, he just gave me specific encouragement about what I had done well. And it felt like, you know, I had done this, but he was, he was saying, this is how great, you d- great a job you did. Just sincerely encouraging me. And that became a model for me to take to Albania and to do the same thing with Albanians, training of nationals. Um, so uh, here we are just before uh, we leave for Albania. We had one more child, Joshua, who you saw stand up, uh, joined the group <laughs> and before we went to Albania. Now he's almost getting married. So 1998. And in case you want to know where Albania is, you can have an idea there on the map uh, next to Italy. And we're in Toronto, the capital um, but just again, our history continued less than five years after arriving in Albania. Mike, you can see Mike in the middle right behind me, uh, brought a team, about 15 of you guys, to serve us. And you, you served us, and you served alongside of us. In fact, you can see some, in the, I think, in the background, some that still, some have moved on to other areas of the country. Uh, but you can maybe... I recognize Daniel with the cool shades in the back there, and Lyle, and uh, Jenny in the left-hand corner. 
Susan right next to Mike and Melissa. I think I got all, all of you that are still un- mixed in with some Albanians and then again some old Cornerstone folks that came over at 15. And then the second short-term trip, that's another picture. Second uh, group, Mike came back. He's a glutton for punishment. Uh, came back with Kim and his daughter Anna and Kathy and then uh, Jason on the left-hand side, a uh, group of five. And I really like how Mike can pull off kind of the sleepy, wise look. I don't know if he's doing that intentionally, but, uh, <clears throat> but he's doing it really well. And then, like Milton mentioned, he and Donna came over, and it was, this is uh, Cornerstone Team 3. <laughs> and what a special, man, it was like, uh, you, know, you, you anticipate that happening, and then it just like, goes by so quickly and now we look back almost three years ago uh, uh, just a wonderful time of Milton encouraging me as a man as a husband as a father and Donna as well to Julie um, you know we need that encouragement we need that support and and you know you might not sense it but uh, you kind of think of the missionaries go way over there and they're gone for a long time and then they come back and hear some reports and you know that's that's the connection is this distant connection, uh, and and really it's more like this. There's an organic, we're a part of Cornerstone. We're an extension of Cornerstone. And the way you've ministered to us over the years, this is so significant. Uh, we'll go back here to the Pastor Milton. We had a, a five churches have a combined service, and Pastor Milton brought the word on Sunday. Then he taught our students as well. Uh, from uh, Romans. Um, and then what was really cool, and I think I've, you've seen a picture of this a few years ago, but we had the Gospel Primer uh, translated into Albania. It's called Abataron Gilit, Gospel Primer, and you can see the signatures of many of the students and other pastors that signed his copy. Um, but this has become, for us, for me personally, and as a family, kind of uh, just a, a renewal um, it's become a part of me, a part of my ministry, the way I, I see things. And so it's the impact is really impossible to describe. I told Milton, it's just, it's hard to imagine uh, or to conceive of our life as people and our ministry separate from Cornerstone. And I don't want to convey that to you, just how much you mean to us, all of you. Even though you might not know me or any of my family, we've never, maybe we've met, never met uh, some, many of you, but you're a part of that. And, um, and just the impact, here's another picture of our family. And right now we're just five of us on the field with the two older boys back here, older men, young men, no longer boys. Uh, but you've had such an impact on us, and uh, particularly with the gospel. So we just want to thank you. Also, just when we come back, you know, and I want you to know, kind of as an outsider, um, this, is, this is just all my, my thoughts, my desire to share with you. You know, what a treasure you guys have as in this church. And some of you really know that. And maybe some of you are new and you don't know much about the church. You know, Pastor Milton has been here for 27 years, senior pastor. That's very unusual, very, very unique situation pastoral turnover is rampant through the through through the, the United States and through the world and then you have two associate pastors who have been here homegrown these guys serving together i mean he, they're the real deal <laughs> uh serving together uh submitting to each other serving as a team shepherds of the church models doers of the word and then the elders uh when we were at cornerstone when we first came, Alvin, and uh, uh, I think Alvin and someone else, and my mind's going blank, but and, and several of the elders from that from that far back. So anyway, just so you know, what a how much favor God is looking upon you, uh, putting upon you, just being a part of this church. So we're grateful. Well, let's uh, if you haven't already opened, we're transitioning now to James, to the Word. <clears throat> And as you're opening to James, um, James 1, as I was preparing this message, 
an article I read when I was in junior high came to my mind. And it was about a man named Herschel Walker. Now, some of you who are sports fans would know who that is, Heisman Trophy winner. winner. If you're not, it's not a problem. Uh, but what I remember, I was a, when I was in junior high, I read this article. My dad, I think, sent this article to me about Herschel Walker. And this is what I remember. This, my memory still sticks in my mind about reading about this guy. When he was a teenager, um, he was not a great athlete. Uh, he, was, he had an older sister who was faster and stronger than he was. And he wanted to get stronger and faster. And there was a visiting coach, some track and field coach or football coach passing through town. And he had a chance to ask this coach, how can I get stronger and faster? That's what he wanted to do. So how do I do this? And the coach just threw out this, do push-ups, do sit-ups, and run sprints. That's all he said in passing. He probably get, gave out that information, that advice to hundreds if not thousands of athletes, not expecting him to do anything with it, as most would not do, would not put that into practice. But Herschel Walker was different. He decided, okay, that's what I'm going to do. With simple faith, he took that information, that brief description, and he began to put that into practice daily. So he would, this is what I remember reading, he would do push-ups during commercials and sit-ups. He'd been watching TV, obviously. And he would just, he lived out, I think, far away from town, so he would just sprint as far as he could go, as long as he could go. And by the time he was 18, so this is a start, you know, 12, 13, he was, by the time he was 18, someone later on estimated how many push-ups and sit-ups he would have done. And Something like a million push-ups, a million sit-ups by the time he was 18. Never touched weights. And it changed him. It made him into the person he was. All he did was he took the word of that coach, simple word, and daily put it into practice. And it made him successful. It blessed him just in that one area of life, you know, of, of, of sports. And so I thought of that as, as I was preparing for that, beca- preparing for this message because... If that's true of a coach, and I don't even know the coach's name, and that's true of one little area of life, how much more is it true for us as we have the word of the king, the word of the creator of the universe who knows us, and as we put it into practice? So I want this to be an encouragement to you, this this passage. In fact, I know some of you are... Uh, I could bring up on stage and say, just follow these folks. Just do the word like they're doing it. They're great examples. Maybe some of you are struggling. You're, you've kind of gotten stuck and you, you're, you're, you're discouraged. Uh, and maybe some of you, a few of you are coming, and you, this is brand new to you. And you're just maybe beginning or you don't know, you know what this is all about. This passage really speaks to all of us, every one of us. Um, And I want it to be, again, an encouragement to you. So my goal is this. Um, My goal is to spend half the time and the the time remaining, half the time explaining the passage, and then half half the time talking about some applications. And really, largely, uh, the application uh, that I have been learning for myself, like from the Gospel Primer and sort of weaving it together so you can get some ideas about uh, uh, how you've benefited me, Milton, and the church has benefited me, particularly with the Gospel Primer. So um, let's go ahead and read the passage together, James 1, 22 to 25. And James says this, But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and has gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But no one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer but an effectual doer, this man uh, will be blessed in what he does. And just just a quick uh kind of context uh, explanation of, of this book and, and who James is and his style. James is very practical. He's very down to earth. Uh, he's an exhorter. And if you've read James, you've seen that. He doesn't spend a whole lot of time developing doctrine. He wants to get right into, you know, what should you do? So that's his nature. That's his bent. 
And, but he does have some real gems of doctrine woven throughout the, the letter. And he's writing to some Christians, early church, probably mostly Jews, Jewish believers who are around the world and are going through persecution. They're going through trials. And uh, we don't have time to look at it, but you can look. Uh, 1 to 12 talks about trials. They're going through trials. And then what happens when you're in trials? What happens when you're in difficulties, especially in that time when you're squeezed? Sin comes out, right? And they're 13 through 16 or so, 18. They're going through, as they're going through trials, they're being tempted. And as they're tempted, the tendency is to blame God. And so he corrects that thinking. He doesn't want them to be deceived. Deceived in verse 16, he says, don't be deceived. But God, God can't tempt. He's, he's, it's impossible for God to tempt. That's not his nature. In fact, he's only good. He's unchanging. And if you look at verse 18, it says, In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his cre- creatures. So he's the one who birthed us. He's the one who brought us into life, spiritual life. So naturally, he would not then tempt us. And then he gets into some very practical advice from 19 on, talking about anger. You know, when you're, you ever get angry? You, know, you get irritated, frustrated. Oftentimes when situations are difficult, that's when anger comes out. And uh, what to do about that. And just very practical. So let's look at um, the summary, what we're looking at in these verses. We're just going to be identifying three aspects of being doers of the word. So we're going to learn about it. And you can read this. Why? Why are we going to learn about this? So that we can be doers of the word. <laughs> that's the whole point, is to actually do it. So that's what we're going to be looking at in the second part, especially in the application. Um, but let's look at the first, the first aspect you have here, and you can fill that in on your blank, where James says, um, he says, be doers of the word. Prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers. And we could call this, this part of, of doing, keep on being doers of the word. Keep on being doers. Keep on, keep going, keep going. And that's why I've called this a continual command. In the original language, there's two ways of giving commands. It's, it's very clear. Um, we just have one general way. There's, there's not a, distinct, a way to distinguish. You just have to pick it up from the context. But he chooses the way to describe the ongoing sense of doing something. You know, like if you're, with your, if you're with your child, you have a young child or grandchild, and, and maybe you cross the street and you say, don't cross the street. Right? That would be a, just an urgent one-time command. If I say, read your Bible, that's, you get a sense that's an ongoing command. And this is an ongoing command. The tense of the verb uh, gives us that, that he wants us to develop this attitude. I, m- I imagine you come in here and you, you know, none of us are going to say, you know, I just came in to be a hearer. I'm not, I'm not going to do this. I didn't come to do anything with this. I just want to learn. I just want to hear, hear what you have to say. You know, that's, so him telling us to be a doer of the word is not, it's not like a light bulb experience for you guys. Oh, I didn't know that. What he's doing is he's saying is that in light of life and trials and temptations, what's our natural tendency is to get complacent. In fact, these Jewish believers were probably getting complacent. To borrow a phrase from Amos, the book of Amos in the Old Testament, they were at ease in Zion. They were resting on their religious credentials. And there's always that tendency to say, oh, yeah, I know. I know this, this about God. I, I've read the Bible. I, 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 I've memorized verses. And we can kind of rest on that. So it's a continual battle to have a mindset of practicing. How often have you heard a great message from Pastor Milton, Pastor Mike, Pastor Carlos, or someone else. And it's like, wow, that's a great message, man. And you're thinking of what, what you can do with it, how it can change your life. And halfway through the week, you can't even remember the points. You know, you can't even remember the theme. And you've forgotten it. How, how easy. You don't have to work at that. That happens. So James is encouraging us to be doers, to keep on being doers of the word. And notice too, I just want to just take a minute. Uh, Again, in verse 18, we have this, he first introduces the word, the word of truth. Because we can look at this and say, what is he talking about when he says the word? Be doers of the word. What what is he focusing on? Is it broad? Is it narrow? Because it can sound like just obey the commands, right? 
be doers of the word, just obey. I think he's being very, very broad. And we could, we could sum, of, sum, up, sum up this in this way. Think of the whole Bible as truth and practice. What's the truth and then how do we do it? Or believe. What do we believe? Indicatives and imperatives. Maybe that's too much grammar for you on a Sunday morning or any day. Uh, what do we mean by indicatives? It means just this God saying, this is how it is. Imperatives. This is what you're to do. Commands. Or the gospel, we could say, the gospel and its implications. If this is the truth, if this is what God says, how does that affect me on a day-to-day basis? So the whole thing. And we could say, thank you, James. That's, that's very helpful. Uh, you just want me to do this whole thing, a thousand pages. It can be overwhelming. And so if you're feeling overwhelmed, uh, just hold on and hopefully, hopefully toward the end or toward the second part, I can give you some encouragement and some specifics. But let's move on uh, quickly to the next point. So not only do we have a continual command, an attitude where you come, and you're all here. You're doing that. You're coming ready to, to hear the word. And he, in fact, he mentions that in, uh, in verse 21. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and, all, and the remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. You're coming to, to welcome that word, to hear it. Um, well, he gives us this command, but then he follows it up with or, or includes with it an internal warning. And I've called this internal because uh, it's happening inside. There's something that can happen inside of us when we're hearing but not doing. And James wants to warn us about that. He already talked about in verse 16 about don't be deceived. That's coming from without, maybe. Uh, but this is like me doing it to myself. He's saying, look what it, look what it says. He says, uh, but prove yourselves, do as the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. A uh, commentator uh, named Lenski uh, said this. He talks about it being uh, a way that we use false reasoning to cheat ourselves. False reasoning to cheat ourselves. And I thought about this. Imagine if you had some kind of condition where you cheated yourself financially. Just to give kind of a perspective on this. Like you're going to pay for something that costs $50 and you hand the person, instead of handing them $50, you hand them $500 because you're deluding yourself. You're not able to reason. It's false reasoning. I mean, it's maybe someone could have this condition. I don't know, but I'm just making it up. But just imagine that. Imagine you hand someone $500 instead of $50. And they're like, you just handed me $500. You say, you insist. No, it's just 50. And the guy says, okay, great. I hope, I hope to do business again with you sometime. <laughs> um, that would be a, a nightmare, wouldn't it? Your bank account would be emptied soon. And that's what Peter, that's what Peter, that's what James is talking about. In a similar way, what we do when we hear the word and we don't do it, we, we begin to think of ourselves as this when we're really like this. And he goes on and he gives us this amazing parable. James is very Jesus-like, his half-brother. Probably he was the half-brother of, of uh, we think it's the, the, uh, the author. Uh, there's two James in the Bible, probably his half-brother. He picked up this from his Lord <laughs> and half-brother, um, Jesus' parable-like ministry and, and, and teaching. And so he gives us this parable. Now, let's look at it real quickly. I think it's up here. Yes. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. James, is, he gives us a very practical illustration. And this would be true in our day, just as is true in their day, but a little bit different. So I want to take you on a time trip. And just imagine that we're living in that time, not now, because now we have mirrors everywhere. And wherever you have a mirror, usually you have water and soap. And you can, if you have something on your face, you know, washcloth, you can, you can clean it off. But imagine living in that day and age. You wouldn't have running water. So let's, we're back in that day. And let's say you're working in the yard, you're working at home, and you're hot and sweaty, and it's, 
you know, messy, dirty. You wipe your brow, you, you know, wipe the sweat off your face. And what do you do? You're smearing grime on your face, right? You have no mirror at home. You might not, not have any running water. You have no way of seeing what's on your face. So you go into town, and in town there might be a mirror, a public mirror. And this would be a, a horizontal mirror, which is a shi- shiny uh, piece of metal. that you could, you could then look at yourself and see, what do I look like? Because you would have no mirror at home like we do. And you look at yourself and you're, you're, you're aghast. <laughs> you know, oh, this is what I was been look- I've been looking like all this time. And you see the smears all over your face. Maybe some food, if you're a man, and dribbled down your, your beard. You know, who knows what's on your face? Right? And so that's what the mirror is designed to do, is to show you what you look like. And so what happens? You think, I've got to wash this off, but there's no water there. So you're walking somewhere to get some place where you can remember what you look like and wash it off. And along the way, you get distracted. Maybe you meet someone. And you forget you forget what your face looks like. You're talking to that person and you, you think you look fine because you forgot what you look like. The other person is looking at you and, and they're seeing what you look like, but you've forgotten. Your estimation of yourself is here, but really you're here in your physical appearance. And so that's what James is doing. He's saying that's what happens. That naturally happens to us. It can, or it can naturally happen. We have to avoid that. We look into God's word it's a mirror that tells us, tells us who we are, tells, tells us what we need to change. And what happens is we can, we can forget. We can forget the changes that we need to make. And that's, that's the danger. We can then delude ourselves. So he wants to motivate us to take this seriously. And I know you, and I just want you to understand that I don't come thinking that you're not being doers of the word. I come to encourage you uh, to continue to be doers of the word and to grow even in that. Well, let's look at the last point, the last aspect. So he gives us a continual command. He, uh, he then uh, gives us that internal warning that we can be uh, delete, uh, de- deceiving ourselves. But he ends with the promise. And I just want to say this too, that you know, James could say, he could say, be doers of the word or you're going to hell. You know? And you could hear James maybe saying that. Or... God's going to judge you. But instead, he, he says, notice what can happen inside of you when you're not being a doer of the word. James is, is much more uh, subtle and wise than sometimes we think uh, he is. Because you read it again, you read his book, and it seems like he's just kind of blasting you at times. But anyway, look how he ends. Just to, uh, wanting to encourage us and to motivate us even more with an amazing promise but one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. And just real quickly, he gives us kind of four quick conditions. That's a a conditional promise. It's not just a promise that's true no matter what happens. It's, It's a promise that's true if we meet the conditions. So again, he's motivating us. He's saying, the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty. And I like, again, this is the same, he's talking about the same thing, the word. The word is the law of liberty. It's the perfect law. It's the law of God. It's the law that produces liberty. God wants to free us. God wants to bless us. That's his purpose through his word, through his law. So it's the law of liberty. But this is a person, the first condition, the first of the four parts is we need to be looking intently. That means just what you're doing now. You're listening intently. You're reading the word intently. Um, and abides by it. That would be, that would include then continuing with it. That's meditation. That's the challenge. We have to take the word and continue to think upon it and to application. And then a negative one that must be fulfilled is not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. We can combine those two. So not forgetting, but then putting it into practice. Really, it's literally being a doer of work. So you see it in action in the person's life. Meeting those four conditions quickly stated, that man will be blessed in what he does. He'll be blessed like Herschel Walker, but far beyond 
in every aspect of life. It made me think of, and every Jewish believer would know this psalm, the first psalm, where the psalmist writes, how blessed is a man, and then he describes some negative things, but then he says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Delighting, abiding. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. That's the blessed man, the blessed woman, the blessed boy, the blessed girl. Hearing, abiding, and doing the word. Well, that's a quick description of what James is talking about. Uh, Let's move on to the second part. And I wanted to give enough time. It would be a shame if I just explained the passage about doing the word and you walk out of the out of the church and you're like, I know I need to be able to do the word, but I don't know how I'm supposed to do it. That would be a, a disaster. So I want to take some time just to talk some specific applications. And again, this is what a lot of this toward the end, um, I'm going to give you some ideas that I am trying to put into practice. And a lot of this has come from Milton. Milton and his influence, and especially the Gospel Primer. And I know, you know I'm preaching to the choir a lot of you are doing this, but hopefully it'll be an encouragement to you. Maybe it's just some ideas. Application is, you know, there's a lot of applications, a lot of ways you can apply God's Word. Um, these are just some ways that I've come up with, and uh, some of them are not my ideas, but some of them are. But I want to just, first of all, talk about general ideas. And there's an app, and then some practical principles. The app is this, and one that actually my older son, uh, oldest son, and I are doing. It's called Habit Share. And just so you know, there's, n- there's no multi-level marketing going on here. I don't get any benefit. Um, I didn't know a lot about the app. I just use it. And uh, it's great, as you can see. Just it's free, ad-free. Uh, you can specify your habits. They can be spiritual ones or other ones. Um, here's a screenshot from their website. And I think, maybe it's too small, but whoever did this, it actually had prayer on it. And then, you know, eating dessert. So if that was, that was one you want to put on there. But you can do all kinds of things. You can specify your habits, the frequency of it. Connect with others. You can uh, see and track each other. It's accountability. It's encouragement. Uh, message each other uh, as well within the app. So my older son, oldest son and I are using it. It's just great. And uh, really just a way because uh, when he says uh, be doers of the word, that's a plural it means we're doing it together. So this is a way we can encourage each other. If you want to use the app, um, it's both Android and iOS um, capable. So that's one habit share. And just uh, some practical principles um, that I've learned over the years. And it's just, as I've already said, what James is talking about is continue to develop the habit. You know, you can always slide back, right? And sliding back happens naturally. We have to keep developing, growing, and doing. Uh, and, so, and so some ways you can just do this is, you know, some of you are mostly probably already doing this, pray before you hear. You know, pray specifically, God, what do you want me to do with this? It's amazing. I mean, I don't know how many sermons I've heard, how many seminary lectures I've heard, how many times I've gone into the, into the classroom or into a church and heard a great message and didn't pray about it. You know, how many times I've done that. Just what, what, what do you want me to do with this, God? Having that attitude. And I say, come up with at least one application. Albanians have this, uh, there's an expression, you can't carry two pumpkins under one arm. <laughs> and the whole idea is that, you know, if you try to do too much, like, ah, oh, there's 10 applications, likely you're not going to do any of them. So that's the idea with this, is that just maybe one thing. And if you can do one thing, add a second thing. But starting simple, focusing I want make the application specific, measurable, and reasonable. You know, we can say, oh, you know, I need, to, I need to do this more. I need to pray more. Well, that's reasonable, but it's not specific and measurable, right? You could say, I need, I'm going to, okay, this week I'm going to start praying two hours every day. Well, that would be specific and measurable, but maybe not reasonable if you've only been praying five minutes a day. You know, so you, you think through specifically and measurably and then reasonably. Um, so those are just some, some, some general practical principles that hopefully can help you, maybe ones you already know. Um, but the whole point is, right, to do them. Even in your mind, you can be like, I know that, I've heard that before. 
Well, the question is, are you doing it? And so even as I wrote these things down, I had to ask myself, am I doing these things? And it was challenging. It was encouraging. Uh, well, here's kind of a second category. So general principles, then biblical strategies. This has helped me, and I hope it's, this is where it's going to be encouragement to you. So maybe you walk into the church and you're like, this is not the message I was hoping I could hear. You know, be doers of the word. I was looking for some encouragement. That's just adding to my, to my responsibility list. I feel like, oh, already, oh man, I'm already feeling. So I want to give you some strategies that hopefully will, that I've been learning, uh, that hopefully will be encouragement, that are strategic. I guess strategies are strategic, right? They're strategic. They're, they're, they're designed to help us uh, get to the core, get to the heart of matter. So one of them, and these are biblical ones, um, put off and put on, and maybe you've heard that, ex- probably heard that expression. And that's a biblical uh, way of, of describing growth where you put off a sin and you put on the opposite. Um, and a lot of times as Christians, we can focus on, I need to stop doing this, don't do this, don't do this. But there's also the what we should be doing in in place of that. And here's just a um, a biblical example, one that's used commonly, Ephesians 4.28. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with, uh, share with one who has, who has need. So stop stealing, instead do good. There's other ones that, like uh, uh, Philippians 4.6, where Paul again says, be anxious for nothing. Don't worry. Well, that's really helpful when you're worrying. Someone says, don't worry, right? Uh, well, what do you do in place of worrying? He says, basically, give thanks and pray. Let your request be made known to God. Get, unload your request to God with thankfulness. So he gives us a put off and put on. And this language of put off and put on is found in various parts of the Bible, even in James um, verse 21 we read, putting aside is another way it's expressed. Uh, but it's found in Ephesians chapter 4. But that's just one that's been helpful for me. When, I'm, when I sin, I can say to God, God, I confess like my anger. So I'm putting that off. I'm confessing that. I say, in, instead of that, help me to love. And when I'm more specific that way, it helps me to make progress just in a, in a, in a very specific, specific way. Well, that's, that's more of the imperatives, okay? That's more of the, the details of, you know, the, 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 the obeying uh, the Word of God and the specifics. Now I want to just get, get to the root. And this is where it links to the gospel primer uh, more. This is the macro vision, the gospel, uh, the big picture view of the Bible that's helped me a lot. And... What the Bible does is it encourages us uh, to get beyond the surface, right? To go from what's happening up here that's visible to everybody to what's happening down here at the heart level that oftentimes is overlooked by others and by us. And don't we live in a society, especially in America, where the blame game is happening all the time, you know? Uh, whatever I do, it's someone else's fault, it's society, it's my parents. We play the blame game. And the Bible does just the opposite. Jesus said that. Matthew fifteen nineteen. he says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, fault, menace, slanders. That's coming from the heart, not from outside, but f- from within. So the Bible is pointing us inward to look inward and to look at the root. Or James himself says in James 4, 1, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts? you ever have any conflicts in your home? Uh, or at work or at school? Uh, but among believers, he's saying, just in church, what's the source? Is it not, is not the source your pleasures, your sinful desires? That, or where? Where do they come from? Your members, meaning from your own body, from your own self. Uh, that's the source. So he's telling us, look beyond the surface to the source. And as, as I was, uh, and, oh, just, just one more thing. You know, missionaries, kind of think missionaries being at another level, you know? Like we have this, when you become a missionary, you have this like automatic missionary power-up button. 
and suddenly you're suddenly sanctified. It doesn't happen. We're just like you. We have, sometimes we have more trials because we have to learn a language, being a, another culture, it's more difficulties. And that can then, what, what can that do? That can bring up more temptations. So you can actually feel like you're worse than anybody else. And, but God is working through that. And so we're just like you going through the same struggles. Um, and I've learned to get more to the root. Um, when I was a kid, I had the job of weeding our backyard. And it did look kind of like this. And it might be my exaggerated memory, but I just remember this, this big, not as big as this room, but, but just a big yard of weeds. And in my laziness, I would take the hoe and I would cut the weeds and I lived in Colorado, so the nice, uh, moist greenhouse summer summers would just cause those weeds to grow back up real quickly, and I have to do the job all over again. So I learned if I if I cut those down and then pulled up the roots, my job would be over for the summer. And that's what we're looking at is um, cutting the roots um, instead of spending all our time hacking away at different specific behaviors. We need to do that, but also cutting the roots. And learning how to, how to look at the root causes of our sins and problems and apply the gospel to the root causes. That's something that I've been learning. And so let's look at some examples. Just real quickly, taking the gospel. Okay, the gospel primer, the four points. You're familiar with those. Um, and, and this is what I've been meditating upon and applying to my own life and then using with our kids so even our kids we talk about this like we think about the glory of god right that's a general category big picture that it's all about god and then what do i do with that how do i apply that to my heart and so we came up with this uh i'm getting off the throne and i'm presenting myself to to you as your servant it's just a simple it's not a magical mantra you know that does something automatically but it's renewing the mind and applying uh, the gospel to my heart. So um, there's been times I've just been, I could just be overwhelmed. I remember walking the streets of Toronto, discouraged and feeling stress and worry and just having no hope. And as I begin to apply this, literally within a minute or two, and no, no exaggeration, I was just applying this one truth to my heart. Uh, it went, I went from stress and worry to peace or coveting and envy to contentedness or depression to hope. And I can only, with the few minutes I have left, just give you a brief, a brief uh, survey of these. Uh, there's much more to this than, than I can share right now, but we've been applying this in our home. Like, well, well, there might be a conflict that happens. We have conflicts. And even with our kids, we'll say, what's happening? So when you were talking to your sister that way, with that attitude, uh, what was happening in your heart? And so they're learning. You know, I was, I was on the throne again. <laughs> so we use this language. It's just a way to picture what's happening in the heart uh, as a metaphor. You know, what am I doing? What is my, it's really about the glory of me, right? Not the glory of God, it's about me. That's why I responded that way. And then getting at the root and putting off and putting on at the root level at the heart. I like, like this from Heath Lambert, uh, uh, biblical counselor. He says, the root of every sin is fundamentally an unwarranted desire to exalt oneself above all other considerations, God or people. Mankind's most fundamental problem is the desire to grasp after divine status. And that's what's happening. You know, it happens without us trying. And so, and just to be clear, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, you cut the root and then your work is all done. Uh, there's, those roots keep growing back. But it's a strategic way. Uh, to give you just a, 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 general, illustra- a general quote that, and a picture from Abraham Lincoln. Maybe you've heard this. Uh, Abraham Lincoln said, and he was, when he was r- growing up, he would, he would uh, go out and chop down trees for a living and, and you know, split rails. And so he said, if I had six hours to chop, down, to chop down trees, I would spend four hours sharpening my axe. And so that's what we're talking about. Maybe you've been hacking away, you know, and you've got a dull axe. And so what I've learned is to spend more time, more time at the root level, more time at the gospel level, 
uh, what am I doing? I'm sharpening my axe. I'm making myself more effective. Uh, it's, it's not, it doesn't eliminate the work, but it reduces the work. But I have to warn you, heart work is hard work. It's very hard. It's very hard to admit. Yeah, you know, I was doing that again in your heart. Let's move on. Uh, the second point of the gospel. So the first one is we, we have a right view of God in ourselves and then in relation to our sin against God. And this is another one I've come up with. And you have a picture there too. You saw the picture of the, fro- the throne. Uh, here's a picture of fire just to remind ourselves of what we deserve. I deserve every good thing to be taken away from me and I deserve to be suffering eternal punishment for my sins. Um, and just a quick quote from Robert Murray McShane, self-righteousness is the largest idol of the human heart, uh, is, sorry, the largest idol of the human heart, uh, the idol which loves m- most, with man loves most and God hates most. Dearly beloved, you will always be going back to this idol. You're always trying to be something in yourself to gain God's favor by thinking little of your sin or by looking at your repentance, tears, and prayers. And what I found is, you know, I find myself complaining, right? Is, is complaining a sin? Yeah, that's at the fruit level, right? Okay, you acknowledge that. We know that. That's a sin. Um, well, what's happening in my heart? I'm saying, God, I'm not believing the gospel at that moment, practically, at the street level, as Paul Tripp would say. I'm believing that I actually deserve better. I'm telling myself I deserve better. That's why I'm complaining. So as I, as I cut the root... I'm doing less complaining. And this can be the result from self-righteousness to repentance, complaining to gratitude, irritation to patience. And this is one, especially one, that I think is counterintuitive. You know, we, we generally want to get past our sin as quickly as possible, you know, because it's uncomfortable. Um, but, and I could tell you more stories about this, how I've used this in counseling with people who are depressed. And I found this to be for myself and people that are struggling with even depression, really deep depression, this is a, a powerful truth. Because at the end of the day, we're saying, God, you should have given me this. What do I deserve? The wages of sin is death. I deserve separation from you forever and ever for my sins. But instead, you're not giving me what I deserve. <laughs> so you can be thankful in any moment. God's work on my behalf, the third point of the gospel. Just saying, Jesus, I believe that you love me and that you paid the punishment for my sins. This is, again, one we talk about as a family. Um, one we know, you know, we can all, we all say, oh, I believe that. But I've found that from moment to moment, often I'm not really believing that. I'm not really enjoying taking the time to sharpen my axe, to believe that Jesus really loves me, loves me. I mean, we believe it intellectually, but, but applying it to the heart and I'm going kind of quickly, but just from revenge to forgiveness, selfishness to humility, hate to love, cutting that root, and then the product, the fruit of that is evident. Spurgeon said, a little faith will bring your soul to heaven, and a great faith will bring heaven to your soul. How do you get a great faith? By actively believing the gospel, cutting the root, and then your joy is uh, fuller. And my, my uh, youngest daughter Loves this one. This is one we've talked about. Enjoying our salvation, my salvation. So you imagine uh, a massive gift, right? It's one you have to get a ladder to take the lid off of. And inside there's many gifts. Now, if you got that, you wouldn't say, well, I'm too busy right now. Uh, I'm going to open those gifts maybe next week. You know, you would, you would be taking those gifts out and you'd be enjoying those. And so that's the idea is that daily, moment by moment, just thinking about the gifts we have as a part of our salvation, as with Jesus. And again, just taking at least two. Again, this is practice. Thinking about, I'm, you know, I'm, for example, I have complete forgiveness. And just enjoying that, taking some time to enjoy that. And as you're doing that, what's happening? You're actually cutting the root to sin. Or I'm adopted. I'm a child of God right now. I have power, the, ho- the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome sin. So those are just some examples. Quick overview of 
how to do the word at the macro level and sharpen our acts uh, so that we can be more effective in doing the word at the, 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 the fruit level, we could say, uh, the specific level. So again, think of James, think of uh, Herschel Walker. Think of him just by simple faith, daily, applying the word of a man, some coach. And be encouraged. If you're struggling, and hopefully this being more strategic and applying the word at the heart so that you can, you can, you can make progress in many specific ways. Um, and I just want to say maybe there's someone here who this is all new to you. You know, and even as you're listening to this, it's just overwhelming. Like you're trying to make sense of this. And you can just go, how can you do the, do the word? How can you, uh, as a new person, as maybe first time here, how can you do the word? What can you do with this message? Well, just recognize that you have been that person on the throne instead of God. You've exalted yourself. And so God is calling you to step down off that throne and receive him as Lord and King. Recognize that you have sinned against this great God throughout your life. But what has he done? Instead of giving you what you deserve out of love, he's given you his son who's made a perfect sacrifice on your behalf, covering for all of your sin. Complete forgiveness is offered to you just by believing in that sacrifice, believing in Jesus as your Savior so you can receive that wonderful gift of salvation that's beyond what you can imagine. Then you can begin to be, 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 be doing, be being a doer of the word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you have, uh, by your word, you have brought us to life. You have produced within us the life of Christ, your very own uh, nature by your, by your spirit. We thank you. I thank you so much for Cornerstone, for the, the living example that this church is of the gospel. And I just pray that you would encourage each person here, encourage uh, those who are struggling, encourage those who are doing well, that you'd use your word and teach us. Teach us how to be strategic. Teach us how to see what's happening at the heart level, at the root level, to apply the word to our hearts that we would uh, be more and more like Christ, that we would be that blessed man, that blessed woman, that blessed boy, that blessed girl, who by simple faith takes your word and puts it into practice daily, both specifically and generally, all for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.